0: This morning, as we approach the Word of God, we kind of arrive at the tip of an iceberg, as it were. In the next few moments that we have together, we're gonna be looking at and introducing a theme that we believe God would have us explore a little bit in 2023. And it's quite a broad theme, so it's impossible to fully cover and unpack that theme in one morning. But instead, today, we begin to transition into our focus. We believe that 2023 is to be a year of joy, a year of joy (laughs) across this year in our worship, in our teaching and in our ministry, in our pre and post service moments. In our additional activities, as well as in our individual lives and our individual journeys, we're going to explore the experience and the attribute of joy. And we want to spend this next season exploring how we can create a value and a culture of joy within the life and the ministry of Glasgow Elum. and as we say that, we've got to call out that that is true biblical joy, not manufactured euphoria or pretense. Because I'm sure we can all agree that joy is not a switch that you can flick to the on position. There is no default joy mode within the soul of an individual. So to embrace the joy of the Lord does not mean that we simply smile all the time, pretend to be happy and never get sad, angry or upset. Joy is more than that, it is an attribute of God. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and it's a dynamic of the kingdom. And therefore, it's possible to choose joy even in the midst of sorrow. And it's possible to embrace joy even in darkness and trial because joy is much more complex and deeper than happiness. Happiness is based on happenings, it's what happens to us, it's what happens around us that determines whether we feel happy or whether we don't. Joy, however, isn't based on what's going on round about us or what is happening to us. Joy is found in the presence of God. In fact, scripture says there is fullness of joy in his presence. And the scripture also tells us that joy brings strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the word says. The question that we ask then is what kind of strength? Well, Jesus promises in John 15, that his joy would be in us. And as a result, our own joy would be complete. Joy then, we can say, brings to us an inner strength. It's much deeper than just a state of happiness. It's not walking around with a smile painted on our faces, whistling zippity-doo-dah all the time. That's not real. That's pretense. But neither is that strength that's not a strong position to take in life, walking around pretending that everything's always rosy. It doesn't show strength and character or nature. It doesn't reflect reality. It doesn't allow us to journey through the varying seasons of life and feel those seasons and experience them and process them and grow through them. Joy is not like happiness. And unfortunately, we've all heard the sermons, haven't we, where we've been told that we should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. And to a degree we should, but it doesn't mean that there can't be moments in which we're not. We've heard those messages that tell us that we should be chasing down each day with a cheesy grin, and we're never allowed to be down, and we're never allowed to be depressed. But truthfully, that is not the call of Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is not happiness, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. The kingdom is not righteousness, peace, and happiness in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In his presence, there is not fullness of happiness, there is joy in all of its fullness. A smile is not our our strength, his joy is our strength. And his joy is something that Jesus says he wants to give to us. Something that he wishes to reside within us, and he says that when it does, our own joy will be complete. We need to find this joy. We need to pursue this joy. We need to embrace this joy. We need to explore this inner strength, this attribute that belongs to Jesus, but yet is given to reside within us and brings something significant to life within us. When it does, we need to explore joy. So today we begin the process of transitioning towards joy. Because if we've said that joy isn't something that we can just flick a switch and turn it on, that there is no default mode, then the reality is that while we call out this is what we're going to explore, then we have to call out that today we begin a process of transitioning towards joy. And this is the great thing about God. God does stuff supernaturally. He does stuff suddenly and sovereignly. He can turn something around to bring overnight and instant results. However, while he can do that, and while he does do that, it doesn't mean that that's what he always does. It's not always the rule. God is one who journeys with us. He's one who transitions the soul. And we see moments in scripture in which God transitions his people into joy. And this morning we jump into one of those moments because looking at how God transitions us towards joy is important and is actually necessary in order for us to fully and meaningfully explore joy itself. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah and to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, (coughs) we're gonna read from verse one. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor." This passage contains a prophetic announcement that reveals God's heart and His intentions towards His people, and His intention is to transition His people into joy. And whenever we read these words of Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me, we immediately attribute these words to Jesus. These are, after all, the words that he read in Luke chapter four when he took the scroll in the synagogue. This was the passage that he turned to and read out loud and began to address. And it's natural then that the first recorded sermon of Jesus that is using these words, it's natural that the fact that he uses these words to outline his mission statement and his ministry focus, it's natural that whenever we hear them or whenever we read them, we instantly think of him. And we interpret these verses to be applicable to Jesus. However, what we've got to remember is that these words were originally spoken by Isaiah, and Isaiah was a prophet. Now, if you were to take the book of Isaiah and you were to read it cover to cover, you would recognize and come to the conclusion that while his writings contain some absolutely stunning portions and passages of Scripture, the book as a whole is a little bit complex and can be at times difficult to understand. Maybe not for you learned, intelligent people, but for bumpkins like me, it can be a little bit hard. And without a doubt, part of the complexity comes from the fact that many of Isaiah's messages can have multiple meanings. See, Isaiah is often referred to as the predictive prophet. His prophetic revelations didn't just bring insight into the heart of God, but they also contained predictions about actual life events. For example, Isaiah predicted the events in the lead up to his people being captured and carried into exile, and what he predicted happened. He predicted the events and what would take place while they were in exile, and what he predicted came to pass. And he predicted God's action to bring restoration to his people who had been exiled. You see, while Isaiah's writings are packed full of beautiful messianic prophecies that point to Jesus and talk about the coming of the Savior, they also speak to an actual group of people in an actual time in history, living in and facing an actual national crisis. Isaiah's job then was to speak to these people living in their distress, living in their despair, and to minister the heart of God to them. And as he was doing so, to not just call out what God was doing for them, but at the same point to call out what God would do for the entire world through Jesus Christ, his job was a little bit complex to say the least. And when we read these verses in Isaiah 61, we instinctively jump to Jesus. We interpret them through the lens of Jesus. But today, as we approach them, we examine them in a different light. We examine them through the lens of our focus. We look at them in relation to joy. Now, what God is speaking here is to an actual people group in an actual period of time. And this people group are struggling with the happenings that is unfolding in the world around about them. And what God does in this moment is He speaks to them as they are in the midst of their struggle, and He transitions them into joy. And as we home in this passage, we specifically focus on the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three. Here is God's intentions. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. These verses call out to us the experience that God wants to bring his people into, but they also tell us the experience that the people are currently living in. We're told that they are grieving, they're mourning, they're wearing ashes and therefore sackcloth. And apparently they're at a point of despair. The actual translation from the original Hebrew language takes the word despair and translates it as feeble and weak in spirit. So I think it's fair to say that mood and morale is at an all-time low amongst this people. And the first and obvious question that we ask then is, well, why? Why do they feel what they feel? What has fed and cultivated this culture amongst the people? And we've already said it's the happenings round about them. They're in exile in Babylon. They're facing huge uncertainty about their future, their standard of living, their freedom, their identity as a people. They literally cannot believe what's going on round about them and within their context. They can't believe how much things have changed within the one generation. It's not that there's been so much change with the changing of the generations. There's been so much change within the one generation of people. And their day to day lives have been met with uncertainty and it's impacting mood and it's impacting morale and it's impacting the inner compass of the people. And as we call all of that out it seems a bit twee to pause and draw parallel into our lives. But the truth is we can't help but identify with what we've just outlined, can we? I don't know in my lifetime that there has ever been such a period of uncertainty, trauma, and just plain difficulty. We feel like we have weathered one storm of pandemic proportions only to turn the corner and steer directly into a further crisis that brings with it its own upheaval and its own distress and its own pain. It's crazy bizarre, there has been so much change and difficulty within such a short period of time. Think back to January 2020, here we are just three years later and what has taken place within that period of time is mind blowing. Three years feels like a decade and more. And the truth is that none of us are really sure how this is all going to pan out. There are very real concerns for our future, for our identity, for our freedoms because we exist within a period of severe economic and political upheaval. And none of us are exempt from feeling the impact of that. Even the most optimistic amongst us feel the weight of this. The tiggers turn into the eores quite quickly in this setting. <laughs> and of course, what we've got to recognize is that within this overall narrative, each of us are journeying with our own stories. For some of us, what we've just described as the headlines for the world in which we're living, they also describe what we're experiencing on a personal level, some of the things happening in our own individual journeys. Some of us are living with uncertainty, it's the predominant emotion in our lives. For some of us upheaval has just hit our pathway, bringing worry and concern in its wake. Some of us are living with pain and are grieving and mourning for a variety of reasons. Some of us are struggling with issues of personal identity, trying to find ourselves again in the midst of the dilemma, in the midst of the stress, while some of us have come to realization that as we went through the pain and the trauma and the heartache, there's a little bit of us that has been completely lost. And we feel a bit trapped in who we become and not even sure if we can ever find freedom. The big truth is that every single one of us in some way and in some level can identify with the people of Israel that Isaiah spoke to and the experiences that they were living within. And if we can identify with the experiences that we were living in, then what is important is that we connect with what God spoke to them in response. God speaks through Isaiah and he reveals his plan. And his plan for those living in such conditions is comfort. Now, here he's saying, hang on a minute. The reason we steered into this passage was to look at joy. This is to be a year of joy, not a year of comfort. But while beauty, gladness, and praise is the end result that God is working towards, the starting point is of crucial importance. In this moment, the gateway to joy is comfort. God says of those living in Zion, those stuck in their grief, stuck in their mourning and their heavy heartedness, those that are weak and feeble in spirit. He says, here's what I'm going to give to you. Here's what I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give to you beauty and gladness and praise. And here's how I'm going to accomplish it. Here's how I'm going to provide it for you. Comfort. I'm going to comfort you. The starting point is comfort. The transition into joy begins with comfort. And we've said this morning that joy isn't a switch that we flick and suddenly everything's rosy. It is a process that we're transitioning into. And the start of that process is comfort. And here's the thing. Our God is the God of all comfort, the Scripture says. Comfort is part of His divine character. It's part of His divine nature. In fact, He says elsewhere in Isaiah, He says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. He says, in the same way, it's a mother's natural instinct to comfort her upset child. So it is my instinct. It's my character. It's my nature. It's my heart and desire to comfort you in your troubles and to soothe you in your sorrows. This comfort, that flows out of his unconditional heart of love because in the same way that a parent strives to console their child in distress, regardless of how old they are, and regardless of whether they deserve it or not, it's an instinct. We've all been there in those moments in which we discipline our children and we watch them break under discipline and cry and get upset about what's happened and everything within you just wants to scoop them up in your arms and say, even though you've done something wrong that needs to be corrected, I still want to comfort you right now. And you know what? God's the same. doesn't matter what age we are. It doesn't matter whether we deserve it or whether we don't. His instinct, his heart, his compulsion is to comfort us. It's who he is. It's what he desires to bring into the life of anyone that puts their faith in him and becomes his sons and his daughters because he promises that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because he's with us and his rod and his staff will comfort us. He says, I'm going to transition you through this. You're going through the valley and what's going to transition you through and out the other side is comfort. His provision, his resources to us in moments of danger, and moments of distress, his provision is his protection. It's his comfort. And his comfort is found in his presence. His rod and his staff aren't there as inanimate objects, they're there because he's there. And so we find comfort in the knowledge that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil because you are with me. You are here. The comfort of God in these moments is found in his presence. It's found in his nearness to us. And this is when we begin to learn the manner in which God wishes to bring comfort to us. See, the word comfort in Isaiah, in the original language, it means to be sorry, to pity or to console. And that's interesting, it's amazing, the moments when we go through grief or bereavement or difficulty, and when people hear of what we're journeying through or what we've been through, more often than not, their reaction is to say, I'm so sorry. And more often than not, our response to that is, there's no need to be sorry, because it's not your fault. But actually, when someone is saying sorry, it's not them apologizing for causing our grief and turmoil, it's them empathizing. So I'm saying I feel for you. What you're going through has evoked a feeling in me. In other words, it's a kind of way in which we communicate to each other. As you've shared your story, or as I've learned what it is that you've been through, or what it is that you're going through, I am feeling a little bit of what you're feeling. So I'm saying sorry. Now bring that to God because the comfort that He's bringing it means to be sorry. When we go through trial or trouble or distress, He feels what we feel. Why does he feel it? Well, number one, he's omniscient. He sees and knows everything. His sovereign knowledge means that he knows what it is that we're going through, and he knows what it is that we're feeling. However, it's more than just his omniscience that means that he feels it. He feels it because he's there, the Scripture says. He journeys through it with us. When we're passing through the waters and we're going through the fires, we're not going to get swept and we're not going to get burnt because the God of Israel is with us. He is our Savior. He is journeying with us. His presence is there. And here's the thing, when someone says to us in response to our grief or in response to our distress, I'm sorry, what they're also doing or what they're trying to do here is express their feelings towards us, they're expressing their heart towards us. The word comfort in Isaiah used to describe what God wants to provide for us. It means to be sorry, to pity, to console, which means that in moments of distress, God comes close to us. And in the same way that someone coming along and saying, I'm sorry, is they're um, expressing their heart towards us. Then in the same way, if the word the comfort means that God is expressing to be sorry, to console, to, to pity us, then what he's doing in that moment is he's expressing his heart to us. In moments of grief and difficulty, and upheaval and uncertainty, when the heart is heavy and the spirit feels weak and feeble, God comes close. He doesn't just turn up. Say hi, just so you know I'm I'm here. Stand aloof and just watch what we're going through like a supervisor. No, he comes close, and here's what he does: he expresses his heart towards us. He manifests his heart towards us. There is a special activity of God in moments of distress and grief. There is a very special activity of God. We know this. Throughout the scripture, it's repeated. He comes close to the brokenhearted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Time and time again, the scripture calls out in moments of distress, in moments of grief, there is a special activity of God. What is that special activity? Well, we come back to the word comfort again. And the root of the word means to sigh or breathe strongly. So a literal translation of this sentence, to comfort all who mourn, would be that God's desire is to breathe strongly on all who are heavy-hearted and downcast. It's the special activity, God comes close and He breathes strongly on those who are heavy-laden and broken-hearted and struggling and in John twenty twenty two, we read the moment in which Jesus breathes upon his disciples and announces receive the Holy Spirit. The breath of God in scripture is linked to the Spirit of God who interestingly Jesus calls the comforter. Or in the Greek, the parakletos, which means one summoned to the side of another. In moments of trouble, in moments of distress, there is a special movement and ministry of the Spirit who is sent as an expression of the Father's heart. He is summoned to be at our side to provide comfort to our heavy hearts and to our weakened spirits. When you face hardship, when you go through difficulty and grief and distress, when your heart is heavy and your spirit becomes weak, when the load seems a bit on the heavy side and things become too hard to handle, did you know that the Father commands his spirit to be right at your side? Did you know that he sends his spirit, the comforter to come so close to you and to come so close to me and to bring the provision and the resources of heaven to be our aid? When we go through hardship and difficulty, God commands that the Spirit of God comes close to us. That there is an intentionality and an intensity to the movement of the Spirit in our lives. And that means that right now in this exact moment, there is a special ministry and movement of the Holy Spirit over us as a people and over our individual world and lives. And that ministry and movement of the Spirit is released to us because of the uncertain times in which we are living right now. If we say that when we are going through difficulty and hardship, upheaval and uncertainty, that God breathes strongly upon us, then right now as we recognize the state of the world in which we're living, the upheaval and the concern and the distress and the turmoil, then we know that right now, He is breathing strongly upon us. Right now in this exact moment, The Spirit of God is over you. Child of God, pause for a moment. Take a breath. Receive the Holy Spirit afresh. He is breathing all over us right now. Intentionally, intensely, His Spirit is summoned to be over us as a people. Receive Him afresh. Our job in these moments is to find him. Connect with him, open up to him, receive him and receive from him. He comes close to us to comfort and to provide. And the interesting thing is what happens in the moments when we receive comfort from God. You see God, his comfort isn't like in the natural sense where we come alongside one another and go there, there, Isn't it terrible what you've been through? It's such an injustice. That's the way we comfort one another, where we go, you know what, this is terrible, this is really bad, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, there, there. Actually, God's comfort is not like that. His comfort involves transaction and transformation. Because in these words that we've read together, these verses record for us three things that God wants to remove from our lives and three things that the wants them to be replaced with. His comfort involves transaction. The comfort of God is transactional. And the three things that he wants to bring into our lives as his provision are things that denote joy, a crown of beauty, the oil of gladness. Some translations just call it the oil of joy and a garment of praise. The result is joy. The end process is an experience of joy and a renewed inner strength. The intentions of God is to transition from despair and into joy, and the starting point is comfort. Comfort is the gateway to joy. Before we can transition into joy, we have to embrace the comfort of God. And the comfort of God is a point of transaction involves us being willing to lay down and let go. It involves us relinquishing and releasing. It requires transaction. God says, instead of ashes, I want to give you a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, I want to release to you the oil of gladness. Instead of a spirit of despair, I want to provide for you a garment of praise. The repeated phrase, instead of, instead of, instead of, one thing has been replaced with another. The comfort of God is transactional. It brings healing and restoration. It brings renewal and refreshing. It involves transaction and transformation. It requires a release in order to receive. And joy can only be fully experienced when we've navigated the pruning process of comfort. Now, when you call comfort a pruning process, it sounds painful. How can it be comforting if it's sore? But the truth is that true, genuine comfort is never pain-free. Because true comfort will never leave you in a place of pain. True comfort journeys you through pain and transitions you out the other side which means that comfort involves going through the pain to come out the other end. It's transaction, and it's transactional because the things that we pick up on the journey, the emotions that we have to experience as part of the process, the things that we have to carry that is part of what we have to go through, they have to be released in order for us to transition into joy. Comfort is a process, and it's not an event, it's a journey. And it's a journey that takes time and it's a journey that's not always easy. But here's the thing, although it's a process and a journey, God provides a supernatural agent for that journey. He breathes upon us. He releases His holy Spirit to journeys through comfort and towards and into joy. The Holy Spirit begins to transition us out of ashes. He begins to move us out of mourning and to release us from despair. He gets to work to bring about the instead ofs. That the scripture talks about he transacts the comfort of god he transforms us with power and he transitions us into joy and here's how he does it firstly he removes the ashes sackcloth and ashes were worn as an outward expression of a deeper inward emotion in times of grief and mourning Times of despair and anxiety or when people were depressed, people would often display those feelings by ripping their clothes in two, putting on sackcloth for clothing, covering their heads and their faces and their skin with ashes. And it sounds really extreme and it's not something we would see in our culture, but the point was to demonstrate that for that individual, there was nothing pleasurable or enjoyable in life right now. They didn't want to dress, they didn't want to wash, they were just living in an experience where everything in life was gray. And in a sense, by wearing sackcloth and ashes, people could readily identify that that individual was not in a good place. It'd Be pretty obvious. And though, therefore, in many senses, wearing sackcloth and ashes became their identity because it became their way of living for a period of time. Now, There's nothing wrong with wearing sackcloth and ashes. I'm not encouraging you to do it like, but there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I would suggest it's almost healthy because what wearing sackcloth and ashes did was it made a person live in their emotions for a while. It made them live out their feelings and display their feelings, as opposed to hiding them away and pretending that all is well. In our culture and in our modern times, we kind of like to hide our emotions to move past them as quickly as we possibly can. But wearing sackcloth and ashes in itself was not a bad thing or a wrong thing. In fact, there's moments that the Bible encourages it. The issue is that this was only to be for a season, it was not to be for definition. Comfort brings a person to a place where their feelings and their emotions are no longer reflected in the ashes and the sackcloth. Comfort therefore transacts ashes for gladness. And there are times in our lives when we need to wear the proverbial sackcloth and ashes. There are times when it's important that we sit in our emotions for a while, that we embrace our feelings, that we process what we're going through. It's necessary that in moments of pain and despair that we don't hide how we're feeling, and most importantly, that we don't hide from what we're feeling. We need to own our emotions. We need to own our feelings and let our hearts experience them because that's how we grow and that's how we navigate through life in a way that's healthy. We have to recognize that such an experience is for a season and it's not to be our definition. See, all too often we can allow our struggles and our difficulties to define us. Times when knowingly and unknowingly we wear our troubles and what we've been through, almost like a badge of honor for all to see, and in doing so, we actually allow the difficulty to define us. There are even times when we go through the season, and even though the season of difficulty is over and gone, even though it's very much history, we can still allow it to impact and define our present and the way that we journey into our tomorrow. There comes a time then when we have to take off the sackcloth and clean off the ashes. God sends his spirit to us to be our comfort, to bring the resources and the provision of heaven as our aid. Comfort journeys us to a place where sackcloth and ashes no longer reflect the culture of the heart. Comfort brings us to a place where we have to release and relinquish. We have to let go of the injustice, give up the pain, no longer show off the scar. No longer retell the story over and over and over, comfort brings us to a place where the sackcloth and ashes have to come off in order to transition fully into joy. Is it time to take the sackcloth off? Are you still wearing the ashes of past hurt and pain? Is that injustice, that experience, that situation still defining your today and shaping the way that you walk into tomorrow? See, instead of ashes, he wants to give to you a crown of beauty. In the Hebrew for crown, it means bonnet, and it's the same word that's used to describe the turban that was worn by the high priest, and the high priest wore that turban to show that he was set apart for the presence of God. God releases his spirit as the great comforter to journey us to a place where the pain and distress of the past no longer defines us anymore. He breathes upon us. His comforter begins to shape us, begins to testify with our spirits that we are children of the living God. He begins to speak to the innermost parts of who we are and says, this is for a season, it's not your definition. This trouble and this pain is not what defines you, my spirit is your definition. You are set apart for God, you're a child of the living God, you're chosen and appointed to bear fruit in your generation. The Spirit comes close as the comforter to transition us into joy. And that's what we see happening on the day of Pentecost. The believers were locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews. They were wearing the proverbial sackcloth and ashes because of the upheaval and the uncertainty of what they had been through, where they were at, what was about to unfold in front of them. And they were stuck in that moment and suddenly the comforter came and transitioned them out of sackcloth and ashes. Suddenly the comforter came and transitioned the soul of these people to a place where sackcloth and ashes no longer reflected what was going on within them. He transitioned them into purpose. Comfort is transactional. It brings us to the place of laying down the sackcloth and ashes. It transitions us into something beautiful. Comfort transitions us into joy. And we have to embrace the comfort of God before we can transition fully into joy. Are you still wearing ashes? Maybe some of us are still wearing the ashes of COVID and the experiences and the feelings and the pain and the hurt and the worry that that brought still very much shapes the way that we approach today and the way that we walk into tomorrow. Maybe some of us are still wearing the sackcloth from past trauma, injustices that should not have happened to us, but they did. The Comforter wants to bring us to a place of removing that to step into gladness and joy. Maybe some of us are still wearing the sackcloth of failures, disappointments. We need to lay some of this down. The second thing that God does is he anoints us with the oil of gladness. When people wore sackcloth and ashes, they abstained from anointing their skin with oil. Oil was used to protect the skin from the sun in a sense, but more so to bring relief to irritation and to soothe the skin. And when someone anointed with oil, the oil was rubbed into and was absorbed into the skin. When we do anointing with oil in church circles, it's the thumbprint on the forehead type thing. It's a dab of the stuff. But in biblical times, when someone was anointed with oil, it was to pour over the individual, to cover the individual. In the process of comfort, God sends his spirit to us. He releases the agent of his anointing, and the job of the spirit is to bring soothing and relief. He manifests the comfort that our souls need. He journeys us to the place of restoration. Psalm 23 tells us that God anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows and he restores the soul. And that phrase alone is insight into the restoration process. The image in the psalm is one of the shepherd who brings the sheep into the pen and draws out a cup of water and sets it before the sheep. And as the sheep drinks and is refreshed, the shepherd examines the head of the sheep to see if there is any injuries, any wounds, any infections from insects, and he He irrigates the wound by pouring oil into the wound as a healing agent. God's comfort is transactional. He releases His Spirit into our lives and brings us through a process of refreshing and renewal where He restores the soul and He begins to heal the wounds. The outcome of this anointing is gladness. He releases His oil to bring healing and soothing, and to bring the soul to a place where it's no longer defined by heart and pain, but is instead defined with joy. His spirit is released to not just bring the soul to being healed and soothed, but actually whole and glad, joyful. Comfort is transactional. It brings us to the place of dealing with pain, altering the condition of the soul. It transitions us through refreshing and renewal into gladness. It transitions us into joy, and we have to embrace the comfort of God before we can transition fully into joy. The final transaction that is listed, and we bring this to a close, the final transaction is the removal of a spirit of despair to be replaced with a garment of praise. The word garment, it means mantle in the Hebrew. A mantle specifically was a garment that completely surrounded and covered an individual. It was a garment that was wrapped around a person. And the image that's been presented to us here then is that instead of being overcome and overwhelmed with distress and despair, the Holy Spirit actually changes the entire culture of the soul. The Comforter moves within our spirit. Testifies with our spirits, ministers in the deepest parts of who we are, that instead of being overwhelmed and enveloped in despair, we are brought to a place of praise. That is a place of celebration, a place of thanksgiving. In fact, the language that's used here doesn't just suggest singing a song of praise, but specifically in the Hebrew, it means to sing that song with a bit of volume. Gain it loudly. It's not just the idea of singing a song, but it's the idea of singing that song loud and proud. Why? Because we're brought to a place of joy. And more than just brought to a place of joy, that is outworked in praise. But what we're told here is that the praise that we receive is like a mantle, and a mantle in Scripture also denoted authority. Comfort is transactional. It brings us to a place of releasing what we're carrying to receive something very different. Comfort transitions us into joy, a joy that brings us into a place of strength and a place of authority instead of pain and sorrow. Comfort transitions us into joy, into the place where the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Comfort brings us to a place of strength and we have to embrace the comfort of God before we can transition fully into joy this year we get ready to explore a year of joy we get ready to look intentionally at moments of joy at creating and embracing a culture and a value and a foundation of joy But the gateway to joy is comfort. Comfort is transactional and transformative. It transforms us into joy, which means that this morning at the very beginning of the journey, we need to surrender our everything to the comfort of God. We need to invite his comforter to breathe upon us. We need to put the breath of God in charge and yield to his leadership and his counsel. And we need to embrace the transactions of comfort. It's time to lay down and let go. It's time to take off the ashes and remove the sackcloth. It's time to release that injustice and relinquish the right to be right. It's time for the past experiences to no longer define our today or shape the way that we face tomorrow. Glasgow, Elam, it's time for joy. Amen. But the road to joy is through the gates of comfort. We need to step into the comfort of God.